the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're having a wonderful day. Uh, we are uh, basically uh, uh, joining you here uh, from our studios. This is Al Fadi, and you're listening to Let Us Reason. And uh, today uh, we are going to do another update. Uh, obviously, we'll pick a topic uh, or two, and we'll go through some of those posts that we've been sharing with you on Facebook. And obviously, if you want to know how to find us in Facebook, there is a variety of ways you can find us. First, Let's start with our website. You can go to our website, sirainternational.com. That's C as in Charlie, I as in Illustrate, R as in Romeo, A as in Apple, and then the word international. So it's one word, sirainternational.com. In there, you can enjoy uh, watching a lot of our lectures, uh, teaching videos, apologetics, um, testimonials, and many other things that you will come across. And in there, of course, you can find a way to connect with us uh, on Facebook. Our, uh, basically, uh, ID or our address on Facebook, we have our personal page, which is Al Fadi, A-L-F as in Frank, A-D-I. And we have the Sira page, which is uh, basically, uh, I apologize, Al Fadi, actually, uh, I just noticed it is Al Fadi dot Sira, Al Fadi dot C-I-R-A. But I'm pretty sure if you put Al-Fadi, it will take you to mine anyway. And then uh, the uh, the page for the ministry itself is Sira International. So once you go to the Facebook page and you just do a search, uh, that page will pop up. So you can uh, either uh, befriend me or like our page either way. In there, we typically put a lot of posts an average of maybe once every other day, but sometimes the frequency can increase. Uh, depending on what's going on with the topic that we are sharing. Of course, uh, in our website also, you can always go back to our archive of this particular show, Let Us Reason, and certainly you can access it from the website itself, or you can go to the podcast platform, soundcloud.com, and search for Let Us Reason, and you can always go also to KPXQ 1360 and search for Let Us Reason or Al-Fadi, and you can listen to us through that particular page as well. Welcome again. If you're joining us, this is Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al-Fadi. And uh, today, I would like just to make a quick, uh, uh, basically, um, a comment on a post that I just basically uploaded right now. Here is the post and what I titled. I said, you know, uh, I, I have a, a post series that I call the Islamic Dilemma, and I pick basically one particular reason why there is an issue, whether with the collection of the Quran, 
or an issue with the prophethood of the uh, Muhammad himself or an issue with some of the Islamic apologetics. But I'm going to share with you this particular one that I just posted. It's I called it reasons why Muhammad is not a prophet sent by God. Now, I know this sounds like a shocking you know, thing, uh, basically, to a Muslim to hear or read something like this. But here is a simple, very, very, very simple reason why I am going to show you that Muhammad cannot be a prophet from God. Believe it or not, it's a simple phrase. It is written. Okay? It is written, a phrase that... The prophets and the authors of the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, used multiple times to refer their audience to something that was written related to their message or the topic that God is trying to point this audience to. And to give you an example, the phrase, let us reason, uh, it is written, is actually used, at least if we look at the ESV translation, used 98 times throughout the Bible, 24 in the Old Testament, 74 in the New Testament. Now, if we go, for instance, to a book like the book of Hebrews, and we will find not only the phrase was used there, but multiple quotations as well from the Old Testament are used in there. Our Lord and the apostles in the New Testament refer to the Old Testament 295 times to show you the importance of making such quotations. But if we just only focus on the phrase only, not the quotations, but the phrase only, it is written, you will be shocked to discover that the Quran have used this phrase only twice. The Quran has... 114 chapters, at least today's Quran, and only use this phrase twice in reference to the Old Testament, actually. One time in chapter 5 of the Quran, verse 45, chapter 5, verse 45, and it made a reference to an eye for an eye, which is in Exodus 21, verse 23, as if it was pointing the Jews to what is written in the law of Moses. In other words, the context actually in that particular, uh, uh, basically chapter, chapter 5, the context between verses 42 to 48 is to affirm and confirm the Old Testament. And the Quran used this quotation that is still found today in Exodus 21-23 to show the Jewish audience at the time of Muhammad, supposedly 1,400 years ago, might I add, that if they go to their law of retaliation in the Torah, they are going to find a phrase like, uh, they are going to find a um, reference to an eye for an eye. That's number one. Number two, it was used in Surah Al-Anbiya, which is chapter 21 of the Quran, verse 105, as a reference also to a quotation that came from the Psalms, specifically Psalm 37, 29, where it says, and the righteous shall inherit the land. Once again, the Quran used it to affirm that the land belongs to the righteous according to the teaching of the Bible. So both ways, in both times, the Quran actually was making reference to the Old Testament, affirming and confirming that the Old Testament 1400 years ago was good enough for the author of the Quran to basically quote from it. But that's not it. 
if you go to a book like the book of Matthew, just in the first two chapters, he, Matthew, referred to Old Testament prophecies concerning Jesus, whether about his birth in Bethlehem or about him going to Egypt or calling, being called back from Egypt or uh, things concerning uh, basically his birth that he will be called Emmanuel, as it was written in Isaiah 7.14. And the list can go on and on and on. Even our Lord, during the temptation by Satan in Matthew 4 or Luke 4, made reference to the Old Testament by responding to any of these temptations by Satan to saying it is written. The point is, any of these authors utilize what was written previously to confirm and affirm their prophecy. Yet if Muhammad was truly a prophet from God, by the time he came into the scene, you have the whole canon now with tons, basically, I should say, of uh, quotations, thousands of passages in the Bible, and Muhammad could have just made references one after another. It is written here, it is written there, yet it's Amazingly, we find only two. Number two, the other argument that I'm trying to raise here, if Muhammad is truly a prophet sent by God and Muslims are going to use the Bible over and over again to try to show you that there are many prophecies mentioned in the Bible supporting their claim, believe it or not, they use the same Bible that will tell you in, 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 a, in a course of a conversation with a Muslim, if you bring the Bible up, by the way, they'll tell you your Bible has been tampered with, has been changed, has been corrupted. But almost like within the same moment, they will actually take you to the same Bible that they just attacked to show you that Muhammad was supposedly prophesied in the Bible. I'll mention just uh, two or three quick prophecies. One, for instance, they love to use Deuteronomy 18.18 and to tell you that that when God was speaking through the mouth of Moses and say, and I will raise a prophet from among them, like you, that the claim is this prophet is Muhammad, who came later. Another prophecy is found in Isaiah 29, 12. Muslims love also to use uh, this idea, basically, that uh, this particular reference in there has to do with Muhammad and the way he received his revelation in a cave, because in Isaiah 29, 12, it talks about someone who received a scroll, meaning the scripture, the word of God, and was told to read it. And he says, I do not know what to read. A Muslim will say, see, when Gabriel supposedly appeared to Muhammad in the cave and squeezed him and asked him to read, he says, I do not know what to read. The problem is this is taken out of context. Even with Deuteronomy 18, 18, it's still taken out of context. It has nothing to do with uh, basically, an Arab prophet coming uh, at a later time. Our Lord is the one who confirmed this, uh, proven by the New Testament, and so on and so forth. And then Muslims also sometimes can take you to the uh, to the New Testament and use things that has to do with the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, uh, in, for instance, John fourteen twenty five, for instance, or John fourteen fifteen and sixteen, or John fifteen twenty five and twenty six or John 16, and so on and so forth, they will say this comforter 
uh, is the helper is actually Muhammad. In other words, Jesus was not prophesying the Holy Spirit. He is prophesying the coming of a human prophet, basically. But that's all fine. Let's, for the sake of argument, say, assume this would have been the case. How come the Quran is silent when it comes to that? Wouldn't you think that the God of the Quran will make such references very clear that you Jews and Christians will find Muhammad written in your book. It is written here. It is written there. And these references in the Bible would be revealed over and over again in the Quran. Yet you do not find such a thing. The only thing that you might find is in chapter 61 of the Quran, verse 6, where vaguely it says that Jesus prophesied about a coming of a prophet after him, yet it tells you his name is not Muhammad, his name is Ahmed, actually. So that's confusing. Why would the Quran not call him Muhammad and call him Ahmed, for instance, when everybody knows him by that name as Muhammad, actually? You see, when you look at things like this from the Quran and make such a simple comparison to the Bible, you can quickly discover that the Quran in no way is on the same line as the scripture, as the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament. Because if it was, it would have followed the exact same methodology because God has been consistent. I mean, you start from Joshua and you make all the way to the New Testament. In Joshua, it was mentioned in 2 Samuel, the phrase, it is written, is mentioned. In 1 Kings, it's mentioned. In 2 Kings, it's mentioned. In 2 Chronicles, it's mentioned. In Ezra, it's mentioned. In Nehemiah, it's mentioned. In Esther, Psalm, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Hebrews, 1 Peter, Revelation. I mean, the list can go on and on and on. I mean, it's kind of amazing. Why wouldn't the Quran mention it more than two times? And it has nothing to do with trying to prove Muhammad as a prophet. Why wouldn't the Quran make a reference to at least a handful of these supposed prophecies about Muhammad? And why would Muhammad actually utilize the exact same methodology that was used by all of these authors, New Testament, Old Testament to the New Testament? That's the point. There is consistency cover to cover in the Bible, the same methodology. Why? Because the people cannot question it. I mean, when you utilize something similar that was used already and it's consistent, people at least will not have a chance to accuse the author. All they have to do now is just to go and double check if what they're saying is true and also look at the signs and look at how they're presenting the message. Is it consistent with the Bible or not? Because you're not going to find any of these authors in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, who came up with an odd message that went the opposite direction than what the rest of the Bible is teaching. All of them lead the exact same message, whether lead into the New Testament and the prophecy about the coming of Christ and this promise, or from there, continuing on to show the confirmation through Jesus and the fact that Jesus sent his apostles, that the apostles came to confirm what the Bible teaches and what Jesus sent him to say, and also leading to the second coming of Christ. I mean, I'll, the utilization of this formula, it is written, it may sound like simple to us, but it's extremely crucial because it is leading you to something that was written, meaning inspired by God himself. So that's the essence of this particular, by the way, post which I just just uh, uh, minutes ago 
I have already posted it, and I can tell you that we have already a lot of interaction, about 15 already people that uh, within the first minute have jumped all over it, and uh, I'm hoping that by the time uh, this day is over, we'll have at least a couple of hundreds uh, by then. Here is another uh, post that I would like also to point out to you. Uh, one of those posts that I recently did, I said, it, uh, once again, it's the same series, The Islamic Dilemma, where it says, where did it say this? In other words, I'm asking, where can we find this particular phrase or word? So I titled it, where did it say this? Question mark. Things Muslims say that contradict the Quran. Believe it or not, Muslims will say things that typically are not found in the Quran. And we're going to start with something that will shock most of you. You've heard about the five pillars of Islam. The very first pillar is called the Islamic Creed or the Shahada. It's a testimony. What are you testifying about? It is a testimony that you believe in one God, his name is Allah, and his final messenger, Muhammad. Yet you will never find the Shahada in the Quran. You will find a reference to Allah, that he is Allah. And maybe later you'll find a reference to Muhammad in different ways that he's sent by Allah. But to find a creed like this, a creed, a shahada in one verse saying that if you want to become a Muslim, you ought to repeat this because that's required, by the way, for someone to convert to Islam, that you must say this. If you can find it, at least we know where it came from and why it is considered to be the first pillar. But you will never find it in the Quran. Now, you may find it in the traditions of Muhammad. You may find it in his own sayings. But here's the problem. Muhammad's own collection of hadith or sayings were put together at least 200 years after his life. So what's the point I'm trying to raise here? This is just one evidence to prove that the Quran uh, is not from God because it lacks things that Muslims claim are necessary for the Muslim, including the first pillar. Number two, it also proved that everything Muslims believe in or follow, one way or another, is put together by man. In other words, it's a man, a man-made thing called the first pillar, the creed, because you cannot find it in the Quran. See, see, this is the reason why I list things like this, because I want to challenge my Muslim people. I want to challenge them to the idea that you cannot just believe blindly. You cannot just think like this without reasoning, without asking yourself. It is one of the people, of course, Muslims are notorious for distracting from the topic. It is one of the people, by the way, uh, who said the following. Here's what he says. I'm talking about the Shahada. He's talking about the shrine in Mecca, the Kaaba. And he's using the Quran to show you that it is Abraham, actually, who built the Kaaba. Muslims are convinced that Abraham is the one who actually founded Islam, restored it to its original form because Muslims believe all prophets starting from Adam were Muslim prophets. But Abraham is the official father of Islam who restored it to its original basically means and worship and methods and forms and built the shrine in Mecca. And therefore, Muhammad came just to affirm this and institute what Abraham originally started it, and therefore the worship of God in Mecca and facing an idol called the Kaaba, the shrine, a rock, might I, as, might, might I add, 
is basically something that Abraham himself instituted. Well, by the way, this has nothing whatsoever to do with the topic, but I'm going to let this, I usually delete those kind of distractions because it has nothing whatsoever to do with this, but I'm just going to allow this uh, to stay there because people are responding to it. And obviously it shows that, unfortunately, our Muslim friends have no answers for those simple questions that we use. Here is another recent post that I posted on August 21st. Once again, it's called the Islamic Dilemma. And here's what I called it. I said the five reasons why Islam is a man-made religion. And I'm going to start with reason number one. No one ever witnessed Muhammad and his first encounter in a cave. No one was with Muhammad when he claimed that an angel, whom later he identified as the angel Gabriel, no one was was with Muhammad in a cave, saw what happened. So it's just the word of Muhammad that he is sent by God and an angel appeared to him. Obviously, if you go to 2 Corinthians 11, 13 and 14, we know that even Satan can mask it here as the angel of light. Reason number two, the Quran, according to Islamic own traditions, was never actually finalized as a book until after the death of Muhammad. Now, the problem is this. The one who supposedly formalized it was a caliph by the name Uthman, who did this almost 50 years after the start of the revelation. He decided which dialect to stay. He burned other competing copies, and he determined the number of chapters and their organization. Yet you will not find a single tradition or teaching that gave Uthman, this caliph, the third caliph, any authority to do something like this. Now, this is at least the traditionalist view. If you study actually manuscript evidence, there is ample evidence that the Quran kept being edited and added and manipulated with and changed for 300 years. So we're just using just a traditional view that it's within 50 years that happened and you have a problem already because it's a man who decided how long this Quran should be, which dialect it should be in, and decided what stays and what doesn't stay. It is another reason. Another reason is the so-called Sira or biography of the Prophet, was originally written by a man by the name Ibn Ishaq, the son of Isaac, basically. Ishaq is the Arabic way of saying Isaac. But Ibn Ishaq wrote it about 130 years after the time of Muhammad. So there are no eyewitness accounts anyway left at that time. Yet the problem is even his own account, most of it was lost. Only few, maybe less than 30% survived. His student, Ibn Hisham, took it upon himself to capture those uh, remaining 30% and even expand on them. The problem is his own second edition, if you wish, was written about 180 years after the time of the prophet. Where are the eyewitness accounts? How can you collaborate anything that is written in a biography? It's almost like me or you writing a biography, for instance, about, um, let's say, George Washington, okay, or Napoleon, or some of these well-known figures. And someone will come to you and say, how did you know that Napoleon even said something like this? And you say, well, I asked so-and-so, and his great-grandfather uh, wrote a little note about it, and uh, and then he supposedly heard it from some. Even with that, people can come back and say, well, that's ridiculous. Who gave you the right even to assume that all of this is true? So I think you get the point. Here is what's going on, basically. Islam 
has a lot of problems. The Quran has a lot of problems. The history of Islam has a lot of problems. And if my Muslim people who are listening to me would take few minutes to try to dig deeper into the sources that they believe in, they are quickly going to discover every single thing a Muslim believes in is based on a man-made decision, not on a divine decision whatsoever. And this is my invitation to all of you and my invitation to all who are reaching out to my Muslim people to point them out to these kind of issues gently and compare it to the Bible and its massive amount of evidence from within and from outside that prove its support. My time is up, unfortunately. So thank you so much for joining us. If you've been listening to us, this is Let Us Reason. I am your host, Al-Fadi. And I hope that you are having a wonderful, wonderful Saturday. Once again, you can always go back to our website, sierrainternational.com, and listen to the archive of this particular show and many of the previous ones. Until we meet again, have a blessed week. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.